hello, hello, my friends. Welcome to the Always Already podcast, Epistemic Unruliness Stream. This is your host, James. Um, you hear this track? You bump into it with me right now. Uh, you can't see me, but I'm, I'm bumping my head up and down right now. This is the title track off of the album Monadology uh, by EDM music um, artist Bad Infinity. And Bad Infinity, also known as <laughs> Kay Syed um, in his everyday life, he is today's guest, um, and we're going to have an interesting conversation about EDM music and his inspiration um, that he draws from the likes of Deleuze and Guattari, Foucault, Spinoza, Leibniz, and how music and uh, a plane of sound can, you know, construct worlds and can take you um, on imaginative flights in other places. So I'm really excited about today's interview, and I think you're going to like it too. So sit tight, sit back, keep bumping a little bit, and uh, we'll come back with Bad Infinity. Syed Kaif is better known um, on SoundCloud and in the, the music world by his stage name, Bad Infinity, um, EDM artist. Kaif, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Great. Yeah, we're, we're happy to have you on today. Um, and I think um, your, your work is really interesting and our listeners should enjoy the conversation um, about uh, an EDM artist who draws inspiration from 
the likes of Deleuze and Guattari and Spinoza mm-hmm. and Leibniz and other um, either yeah. maybe like not the the philosophers who were dominant during the Enlightenment, but those who have become more popular since uh, you know postmodern postmodernism mm-hmm. and then right. critical yeah. theory. Yeah, so definitely. you're definitely following a, a trajectory there in your music. Uh, but before we get to that specifically and your most recent album monadology that uh you when did that come out exactly uh that came out in october i believe october so it's still new and uh we discovered it somehow here at always already um and so that's what got our attention right away we were like somebody's making music about the things we talk about so (laughs) or at least naming songs and you know well let's let's get Mm -hmm. into that a little bit more here uh so Tell me about your your journey as an artist first um, and how you got into creating EDM. Uh, right. So, you know, I, I initially started doing uh, hip hop sort of um, beats and stuff like that. I think it was a pretty natural progression to EDM. Um, you know, when you're working with instrumental music, that's, uh, um, I don't know, you just go there. <laughs> Yeah, how long did you uh, work in the hip-hop world before you kind of moved over? Uh, well, probably, you know, there's not, I, I don't know if there's like a clear time where I switched. Um, the progression had been happening, but I think, um, you know, I, I was doing hip-hop for 10 or so years, and then I started focusing on more electronic stuff, um, maybe the last five years or so. So let me ask you this. Do you think there's a hard and fast line between hip-hop and EDM? Well, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not a historian, but they seem to have different origins. Um, yeah, they have, they have lots of similarities, but um, I think that over time they kind of met each other. I don't think they started out very similar. Right. Cool. Yeah, I guess like the the social history of them come from different yeah, different directions, right. but the like the technology mm-hmm. and the you as the you know the creator of the the beats and the the sounds that mm-hmm. process is similar. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It, I mean, it was it was meant to be, I think. But um, <laughs> yeah, they definitely seem to have taken you know different routes to maybe the same place. Right, and so it all, I guess, it, all roads lead to bad infinity, perhaps. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to just share the uh, the track titles off of Monadology with the listeners. Um, so, okay. right, your title of the, the album is Monadology. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a little Leibniz there and Spinoza. Um, and then the tracks, I'm just going to read straight through them, and then I'll let you comment upon them if you'd like. Uh, okay. Track one, White Walls and Black Holes. Then the title track, Monadology. Break Flow. Um, then we got a track up here, Desiring Machines. The Road, Being in the World. So Heidegger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phenomeno, Phenomenot. How do you say that one? Phenomenot. Phenomenot, okay. Yeah. Um, Revolverlution, my favorite <laughs> off the <laughs> album. Um, and we'll let our listeners hear that towards the end. Um, Mirrors, Decoherence. Simulacra, um, so there's your Baudrillard, and then the order of things. So we can't can't leave Foucault out of the the grouping here. Definitely not. <laughs> um, Dore, and then final track is Spectacle. Uh, so tell me about the the naming, the the inspiration. Why 
why critical theory and philosophy? Well, you know, I just, I enjoy reading and thinking about these sorts of things and they inevitably sort of leave an impression on me. And then I go and make music and, you know, I'll have a certain uh, maybe idea, maybe it's more like a signature that the maybe the book or the, the thought has on me. And then it just kind of expresses itself in some ways through the music. Yeah, I think um, there's, uh, as I was prepping for this interview, I was looking up, um, I you know, Deleuze and Guattari and things that they've said about music. And they have some really interesting uh, thoughts on music as sensuousness and, and, and a, you know, a body of just pure sense and a plane of sound um, that, that, you know, is not linguistic and, and, and is just uh, kind of imminent. Um, and I definitely think that EDM as a genre specifically almost seems to lend itself to that kind of approach to music. Well, what do you, do you see that as well or? Uh, yeah. So like, I think, you know, you have, um, it, it can be very textural. It's like kind of what Deleuze would call becoming insect of music. Um, there is, uh, you know, when, when I'm making music, you know, there's, there's, I'm trying to make sort of little machines, you know, we're keeping on Deleuze here, like these little machines that will produce some sort of effect um the you can't really articulate sort of the meaning like you were just saying it's it's um it's sound it's it's um it's got its own sort of aesthetic logic um Hmm. i i like to think about it maybe in in two ways i like to think about you know internally in the song you know say if i have some sort of um philosophical concept or something influencing me although I wouldn't call my music conceptual um it it influences sort of the logic of the sound uh, of the song so uh within the song you could if you can conceive of it as a you know machine and then um try to figure out how this machine works you know there's certain dynamics going on inside there's certain um there's a sort of world inside that operates by a certain uh certain rules and so forth certain movements um and where you know every note when when you're talking about maybe a meaning of a song um it's hard to articulate in words because you know this is all happening very systemically within the music you know within the song and it's not um it's not linguistic meaning it's more of a meaning drawn from the relations of notes and uh you know progressions um in context with each other so it's it can be inarticulable inarticulable sorry yeah no it's, actually no i'm sorry i had to laugh the irony of that right inarticulable yeah <laughs> as an inarticulable word but uh uh i think there's something you know hearing you describe that there i i don't know i as a musician my own heart just kind of swells with like and i can't even put into words how beautiful what you just said was for me to hear you explain it that way because there this kind of this idea of each song having its own internal logic and its own internal structure and like self-reflective nature uh in some way right you're kind of creating a world of sound um that's yeah. not the it's ontologically different from the world we are in right now and i guess each song 
is its own universe in, into of itself, right? Like, or do you carry out, do you have multiple songs that kind of share similar logics or is each song kind of its own universe within a multiverse of sound? Well, I mean, you know, there, there are, I think, certain commonalities that just come out of the constraints of being music, you know? Um, uh, I think that, um, you know, there, there seems to be some constraint in, in music in that, uh, there are, uh, you know, you can't, it's different from just noise, right? You are constraining some, some pattern out of the chaos or, or whatever. And, uh, so there's going to be, there, there's, it's not so free in a sense. In, in another sense, it's, it's, you can't do anything without having some sort of um, space, you know, that might, might be delineated by certain rules and so forth. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, like, would you call a bunch of random sounds music or just... You're taking me back to like music theory 101 and like undergrad days. Yeah, that I, kind mean, of I, don't, I don't yeah. really like to get it. You know, right. theory doesn't really play so much of a part when I'm, you know, I don't really intellectualize my music when I'm making it. But there's a certain, you know, you by convention or whatever, you gravitate towards certain things. Now, it, within this space, there is still a lot of room for different configurations, you know, and, you know, I, I, um, you know, I try to explore that. I mean, I'm mainly in the hip hop uh, EDM sort of genre, um, which obviously has certain conventions that define it. But, you know, um, maybe maybe my music doesn't have a bunch of different time signatures or what Deleuze might call like non-pulse time or something like that. But, you know, by bracketing that side out and maybe focusing on a different dimension, um, I, I don't know. I mean, but no, I think it's it's you're you're touching on something really interesting about uh, you know this question of would you call a bunch of random sounds music, right? Or could that be? And it reminds me of you know there are several of us when I was a music major in undergrad uh, when we got the John Cage and twentieth century music mm -hmm. and John Cage yeah see that laugh right there that that kind of, when we got to John Cage and his four minutes and thirty three seconds and we watched that in class and it's literally just him sitting there at a piano doing nothing and you know as music majors who had by that point we've been working so hard through theory and stuff and then a little bit you know we were kind of like this guy is cheating <laughs> calling silent sound it's like why am i learning all this other you know all these other things and all those other classes leading up to that point but now that i can you know on the other side of this i appreciate so much the way john cage played with sound and sounds absence as kind mm -hmm. of structure right that like silence can be a structure of music and that it's really maybe like the silences or the space in between the sounds that where the sound is missing that is what makes some sounds sound like music and other ones sound just like noise. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, like, obviously, John Cage was a, you know, brilliant sort of person. I feel like what he was doing might have been a little bit different. It might have been almost like a, a meta take on music when he when he makes something like you know, that, that silent, uh, space, like, um, I, I, I don't know. Um, 
make make a beat for us and tell us what you're thinking right now. <laughs> um, so there's a quote uh, in What is Philosophy that I want to bring into this um, conversation right now because I think it speaks to this idea of like an imminence uh, and sound being its own imminent plane upon which or without you know out of which we can bring some order to the chaos. Um, but mm-hmm. in what is philosophy, um, Deleuze, and I, I guess I'm not sure, honestly, I think it's just Deleuze, there's Guattari here too, perhaps, but Deleuze is describing what a philosopher does relative to a scientist and relative to an artist. And he says, mm-hmm. the philosopher, the scientist, and the artist seem to return from the land of the dead. And then he goes on and says what the philosopher brings back, what the scientist brings back. And for the sake of time, I won't get into all that here. But then when he talks about the artist, he says, the artist brings back from chaos varieties that no longer constitute a reproduction of the sensory in the organ, but set up a being of the sensory, a being of sensation on an anorganic plane of composition that is able to restore the infinite. Um, and I, what do you, do you have thoughts on that? Uh, passage there what stands out to me briefly is this idea that it's not about a reproduction so we're not necessarily representing a sound through another Mm -hmm. sound or whatever but it's just it is pure sensation it's not like here's what love sounds like right it just if it's love to you then it is pure love or whatever it might be right yeah yeah i mean it's dealing with you know music and and you know uh, different forms of art obviously too but um music you know you're really dealing with with i guess what lacan called the real you know like this you're not represent it's not it's not getting into this representational thing um you are you know it it stimulates certain emotions and thoughts in people but it's due to its own sort of dynamics in the sound you know um the sort of differential relations between you know uh notes and and so forth i mean it's you know, I, I always, uh, when I think about the structure of music, I, I just keep on thinking about like Derrida, you know, or, or Heidegger with his being in the world where, you know, the identity only sort of, you know, exists in, in, in not stably, of course, but in sort of uh, differing and deferring relations to uh, all other terms till the point it dissolves. So, there's there's this sort of movement um, in music that sort of accomplishes that same sort of thing. You can find meaning in it, but it happens through its own dynamic. Yeah, I'm thinking now, just hearing again, hearing you say that and the way you phrase that, I I do think like for myself personally, there's a I am right. My name is James Padiglione, and I can tell you that linguistically, and that's a mm-hmm. certain identity of mine. But there is a a deep reservoir of my being or my personhood or something that lives in a sonic space that mm-hmm. I cannot represent in language, but I've been to that place many times, you know, like I know that person intimately and it's in some way, it's almost like you're saying using Lacan's idea of the real, there's like a, it's almost undefiled by language and representation in some way that like it's, it gets to stay, you know, it gets to stay completely whole within itself because it never has to try to move into a representational linguistic base place. 
if that right, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. If that can I, make I, sense I with me talking about that, right? Like I don't even know how to talk about things <laughs> that that are non-linguistic. <laughs> um, well, I want to ask you about your creative process then. When you go into that sonic plane of imminence and you're bringing back varieties for us, um, how long does it normally take you to to compose a a, a, a piece, a song? Oh man, it it, it varies. Um, you know, I I often will start a piece and come back to it weeks, months, maybe later, and finish it. Or I'll sometimes just make something within you know an hour or two. Uh, maybe spend a lot of time after on some sort of finishing touches you know, essentially editing, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it varies, I guess it, it depends on what the song requires. And, um, I, I try to be okay about not, um, I don't want to say not, not pushing it when it's not happening, because I feel like there is a certain amount that of that, that always needs to happen with music. Um, mm. but also, not doing it so much where I stifle the sort of, I guess, I don't like the word natural, but the sort of natural flow of what's just coming out. Great. So I guess when you are, and maybe this is not the, you know, it's not the case generally for all of the, the songs you make, but do you start with an idea in mind of where you want to end? Or do you just kind of, let the sounds take you to the end that they, you know, that the sound itself kind of wants. Well, I, I think it's, it's a mix of both. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, when you, when you're in the midst of making music, it seems that all, uh, you know, all this sort of uh, rationalizing and intellectualizing what you're doing kind of, it disappears. You're just into it and you are just letting the sound sort of find their own way. Um, on the other hand, you are actively engineering this whole situation, you know, and it's, um, I, I don't know. It's, it's a mix of the two. Yeah. Um, I've got another D and G, uh, little selection here from a thousand plateaus mm. where they talk, um, and they're saying sound invades us, impels us, drags us, transpierces us. It takes leave of the earth as much in order to prop us back into a black hole as to open up a cosmos, it makes us want to die. Since its force of deterritorialization is the strongest, it also affects the most massive of reterritorializations, the most numbing, the most redundant. Um, mm. And I think there again, I think the you see definitely the like the non-person personal aspect of sound, or like the sound as its own kind of animated force over yeah. people. Um, but then also this need that like sound can deterritorialize, but then it kind of has to re-territorialize in order to be recognized as music again. And going back to this idea of like, if it was always just deterritorialized and then never reorganized into some other kind of structure, we would just have noise. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a specific sort of de uh, or a specific sort of territorialization where you are producing a new plane upon which you know, there are new possibilities um, such that it could, you know, uh, provide a lot of that sort of affect and percept stuff that he was talking about, about dragging us into, you know, and, and piercing us and all this sort of stuff. I mean, 
that's why I like to think about it as machines, you know, that are made to be sort of interfaced with other people. Um, they, a machine it is constrained. It's, it's a specific sort of configuration of whatever it's made out of. Um, but it can, uh, it can contribute to more complexity, uh, say in an interaction with another machine, like a, like a human. Right. Right. And, um, you know, whatever comes out from that interaction, um, I mean, that's, that's the, the, the real point of it all, I think. Um, so I'm just going to, you have the song Desiring Machines, the, the track on your album. I'm just going to play it real quick and then ask you a question about what's going on here. That's just a little little quick preview. And again, we'll put all this on the website for the listeners to find at home for themselves. Um, but so all those sounds are not the same, right? That's going on in that. What what exactly, how does sound differentiate itself from other sounds? What do you do with the textures to, to make different sounds distinct? Um, well, I mean... that you know that is something that i don't know if i can answer <laughs> it's uh it just happens you know like um sometimes i i don't want sounds to sound very distinct and i want everything to so sort of blend in together and then other times i do purposely try to you know create some sort of um focal point you know where you can definitely uh follow one thing that's very sort of sharply uh delineated um but you know, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not very conscious about it. <laughs> you know, like, really, it well, just I guess sort I of can... happens. Maybe that's just what music is. Is in that's, general. That's, that's it. What you do. The like dragging, compelling part, right? But I guess maybe I could mm -hmm. be a little more specific. Um, I hear like there's some elements of ambiance in the background, right? And you've got like more rhythmic uh, elements. So like, just that. I guess can you explain to some of the listeners who may not have any music background at all, like how music can be textured and how sound can be textured and it's not all monotonous and flat. Mm, yeah. So I, I mean, um, you know, maybe what we were talking about earlier about sort of creating a world uh, is the best way to describe this. You know, like if I'm putting a certain, I think might be the best way to think about this is if I'm putting certain atmospheric effects, maybe, maybe that is like me trying to, really um produce some something like an atmosphere right if my the drums come in and they are dense and maybe even mono you know so they're they really sound really dense um you know i'm i'm trying to produce some sort of ground you know mm. um and you know i i think part a lot of this is convention in a sense you know like i um come from a hip-hop background you know so i really like that dense sort of beat, you know, backbeat going on. And at the same time, you know, it, the sort of atmospheric stuff, um, yeah, I mean, it's there to, it's there to try to be some, something like hypnotic. Mm. Yeah, this is a great, it's great. I mean, like the, the, the like creative power 
that is like at your fingertips. You know, you you get to design the world in any way that you want or any way that the world impresses upon you to design it or but this idea I really think it's like the, the different elements in some way, you know, whether one is just atmospheric or like bass is giving it some kind of grounding. Mm-hmm. You can really then see how each song kind of is painting a world or, you know, I'm using one art form to make sense of another, right? But you're painting a, a landscape or something for people to kind of explore around in um, and for yourself to explore around in. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, there might be some sort of drawback in describing it as I just did because it kind of makes it seem um, very analogous to the human world we're living in. At the same time, I, I feel like maybe I have no choice but to incorporate those elements because that's what is impressed upon me. Right, and yeah, I guess for the sake of this uh, interview, we're stuck dealing in language. (laughs) We've got to make these metaphors and connections, right? Um, So I just have some other couple last last questions here to to kind of wrap it up with you. Um, So you say you come out of a hip hop background. Who Mm. who are your hip hop like icons and people that you looked up to and like producers that you've learned from? Uh, in terms of producers, like if I if I were to name rappers, I'd go on all day. But <laughs> in terms of like uh, some main producers that were influential, um, really really loved uh, Jay Dilla uh, and um, Pete Rock, DJ Premier. Um, in terms of the more newer stuff, I, I really like uh, like uh, some of the instrumental stuff coming out nowadays. Flying Lotus, uh, Comtrues. I don't know if you if anybody considers him hip hop, but I do. Um, Bonobo, uh, you know, the Portishead. So there's a lot. There's a lot of good stuff out there that has filtered through me. Cool, man. And uh, who are you listening to right now? Who's on your, uh, your like, playlist? Other oh, than yourself. Uh, Other than yourself, I'm sure. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, actually, I mean, all day today I was listening to Radiohead. Um, nice. I guess, uh, you know, that that's a common occurrence with me, so. All right, man. Um, I just want to tell you thank you for for the music you've made because I've been listening to your album for the last couple of weeks, uh, prepping for this interview, and like this idea of I know myself as a self in language, and then I know myself as a a being in sound. And mm-hmm. Revolution, particularly, I said that's my favorite track, and there's something about that one that it's almost like you were making that song for that being of myself in sound. I don't, you know, I, again, I'm struggling how to explain this, but when I listen to that song, it sounds like memories that I have of when I lived in Philly, when I lived in DC and I had a lot of family in New York. And, and there's just something about that song that reminds me of like walking through a cityscape buildings and just like the kind of, you know, whatever the, 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 the dispositions that one would have, in that kind of a environment, like it's all in that song, and uh, so I there there's there's some great great uh, realms that one could get lost in. I'm sure if, if our listeners check out your music, um, maybe they'll relate to one or several of them, or you know, have an imaginative journey somewhere that they've never been before. Oh uh, yeah, uh, thanks thanks so much, man. I really appreciate uh, the kind words on that song. Um, yeah. Uh, that's what I try to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do a fantastic job of it, and uh, I really appreciate you explaining it for us and talking to us about your 
your creative process. And uh, um, so we're going to put all your information on our website for our listeners to find you. There's a SoundCloud page for Bad Infinity. Um, there's also Facebook and Twitter you can follow and like and, and keep along with. You can download. I'm looking here. I'm So you're on the App Store, uh, the music as well. If you need, you know, if you listen to Apple Music, you can get it that way. Right, uh, yeah, Amazon. I'm also on Spotify. And all right, yeah, Spotify. If you, if, yeah, if you just go to badinfinitymusic.com, I mean, everything's there, and the music's all free there too. So, yeah. Is that a so? Like, I'm just real quick then on the way out. Um, music democratization is that important to you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just feel like maybe I'm against uh, intellectual property of all forms. That's so. Open source uh, music. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I can definitely dig with that. And perhaps we'll have to have another show where we can wade into those waters. But I've I've got some choice thoughts for all of the, the, the artists who have been trying to convince people to, to jump on title and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Or the people who are pulling their catalog off Spotify because they're not making enough money. Um, but I, I'm all for music democratization and, like you're saying, uh, open source intellectual property law can go somewhere else right. as far as yeah I mean, i'm I, concerned i just want <laughs> to add i mean with with musicians not making money because of spotify and all that i mean uh you know i mean this is just the sort of system we live in where why you know why would you have to sell your music i mean that's a real issue you know, buy, you know i mean like an artist like yourself to be able to have the platform that spotify provides you to break out and to get your creation out there right i mean like for me that's what it's that's what they're doing it's not about taylor Mm. swift trying to make another couple million off her latest cd right and that oh man here we go i guess i'm on the tangent (laughs) but that there are some artists who don't see how valuable it is like big artists who could bring people onto a, a platform like spotify but then as a result of you you know listeners being on spotify they can discover smaller artists and local artists like yourself like if you are a big millionaire artist like as a musician you should want to try to help out right and and see that that we're all in this together uh, so the big millionaire artist i mean has no excuse you know none has has no uh you know you're a major millions come on now it just seems incredibly selfish to me and very short-sighted as far as like where the 21st century music creation and technology is going mm. but yes well okay we've t- you you hit that's my achilles heel as far or like my nerve you know you want to get me going on a tangent ask me about <laughs> music democratization and ip law but uh <laughs> well bad infinity case syed thanks so much for coming on oh thanks so um, much for having me and i'm going to sign off here we're going to go out to revolution actually um we'll put that in and post um, so listeners, you'll get a chance to listen to my inner world of sound here in a second. Thanks again. my friends now you know me (laughs) or at least you know one slice of my fractal sound self uh that wouldn't answer to the name james because he's he's not gendered either that part of myself 
I guess. But that person doesn't know words. He just knows sounds and sentiment and sensations. And Revolvolution is it's it, man. Uh, Alright, let me get a hold of myself. That song is just like my life. That is my life in music. Um, big thanks to Bad Infinity, Cave Syed, uh, for not only sharing his ideas with us and talking to us about a subject that's very difficult to talk about. Um, I believe Thelonious Monk um, is credited uh, the jazz pianist as saying, talking about music is like dancing about architecture, right? They, these are just very... We're just doing ontologically very different things in music that we are in language, so talking about it is very difficult. And I think uh, Bad Infinity did a wonderful job of explaining his process and his journeys into the chaos to bring us back um, a new infinity. So uh, I'm been I'm delighted. I don't I don't even know what to say. This has been a very fun experience for myself uh, to to get to talk about uh, things that two things that I love the most: music and critical theory. Um, listeners, friends, lend me your ears for just a few more seconds. Um, stick around. Um, follow us. What we're doing. Go to our website. Um, you can see what we have lined up, not only for epistemic and ruliness, but also for always already. Um, we're still waiting to hear back if more people would like Always Already After Dark, um, in which last episode, our inaugural Always Already After Dark, John and Emily and myself spoke about the first half, the Academy as a good or a bad or a soul-sucking place, and in the second half, uh, we talked about Jaden and Willow Smith and some of their futurist, um, Deleuzian, you know, music, art creation. So we've got a little bit of a theme going on here. Um, and if you want to hear more of this and you want to hear me talk about some of these kinds of things with the other gang, uh, then let us know so we can get some more Always Already After Dark episode lined up for you as well. Um, but I'm going to sign off here because you've heard enough language. Um, go listen to some music. Go listen to Bad Infinity. Download him off SoundCloud or Spotify. And uh, we'd be much, much, much happy for that and thankful for that. Uh, again, this is James signing off. Ciao, friends. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Always Already Podcast, which is created by John McMahon, Rachel Brown, Emily Crandall, James Pataloni Jr., and B. Altman. Visit our website, alwaysalreadypodcast.wordpress.com. Email us texts you'd like us to discuss, advice questions to answer, and dreams to analyze to alwaysalreadypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at alwaysalreadyon. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our RSS feed, subscribe and review us on iTunes. Thank you to Bad Infinity, not only for the excellent interview, but also for, uh, for the music that you heard going into and out of this episode. So we appreciate that from him. Stay tuned. Coming up, more Always Already Podcast text discussion episodes, more Always Already Epistemic and Ruliness interviews uh, coming your way. Until then, have an Always Already day.